Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 26 on when the Lord appeared to Isaac and how it parallels how the Lord appeared to his followers right after his resurrection as we continue studying the road to Isaac becoming a man of God. We appreciate you listening to the Friendship with God radio program with Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher. Tom Cantor is the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. And as a Jewish born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, Tom Cantor has a heart to reach Jewish people, so he founded Israel Restoration. Now, Israel Restoration Ministries is an outreach ministry that evangelizes and reaches the Jewish people with our missionaries that work for us full-time, part-time, and even volunteers like you around the nation that go out and take the gospel to the Jewish people with Israel Restoration Ministries materials that are geared towards reaching Jewish people with the gospel. We do that by giving out millions of copies of Tom Cantor's life story on DVD, as well as his book on frequently asked questions and prophecy and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ being the Jewish Messiah, we also give out these wonderful fourfold tracks from Israel Restoration Ministries on the Ten Commandments and how we're not good enough, but we ask the question, are you good enough and have you kept the Ten Commandments? These are incredible gospel witnessing tracks that use nothing but Old Testament scripture about the Jewish Messiah to be able to witness about him in the New Covenant So if you'd like these Old Testament gospel presentations from Israel Restoration Ministries, we've got a pack of 20 for you, and you can call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. You can also call us if you'd like to make a donation of any amount. It's tax deductible to support Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries with Jewish evangelism. So our website is friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us at 800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis 26 on when the Lord appeared to Isaac and how the Lord appeared to his followers after his resurrection. The wonder of the Lord appearing to these people, these two, is, is really emphasized in that word I try to emphasize, is himself. Verse 15, Luke 24, 15. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. It's a great verse. It's a great word, himself. It's a great verse for us to claim. We can get alone in our time alone with God in the morning, and we pray to the Lord. We say, Lord, will you yourself come near and commune with my thoughts? That's a great prayer. That's a great desire for devotion times. Lord, will you yourself just come and dwell with what I'm thinking about? And it was amazing. They didn't know that the Lord was with them. And he asked the question, why didn't they know? Because later on it says, then they knew, but they didn't know. And the question is, why didn't they know? And the explanation of why they didn't know is given by one word in the 16th verse where he says, it says, but their eyes were holden, that's the word, their eyes were holden that they should not know him. That one word explains why they didn't know him, holden. It's the Greek word krateo, and it's used to describe what Herod did to John the Baptist in Matthew 14, 3, where it says, for Herod had laid hold, Crateo, on John and bound him and put him in prison. Now, this we see the, the meaning of the word. It means arrest, to hold back, to retain. So what we learn here is that they didn't know who the Lord Jesus was because their eyes were held back. It's like their eyes wanted to, but they were arrested back. And you say, well, why? I mean, they wanted to know. Their eyes wanted to go forward. What was holding them back? 
And it's very simple. How come they didn't know that? It's the same question today. How come a person's eyes are held back? They can't see the Lord Jesus Christ as God. They can't see him as Savior. Why? Unbelief. That's the word. Unbelief. That's the explanation. That's the reason. Unbelief holds back. Pride holds back. In Psalm 10, verse 4, it says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Why? Pride. In Daniel 5.20, speaking of the king, it says, when his heart was lifted up, his mind was hardened in pride. See, the heart was lifted up, the mind was hardened, no longer receptive. See, in Hosea 7.10, the pride of Israel testifieth to his face. They do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all of this. Wide pride, hardening pride, holding back pride. As a matter of fact, pride is listed as one of the evil things that come out of the heart of man that defile the man in Mark 7, 20 through 23, where the Lord Jesus Christ, and he said, that which cometh out of man, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed, rise up, evil thoughts. Let's get the list. Adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, and pride, foolishness. And all these evil things, evil things, come from within and defile the man. She's talking about pride as listed with all those things. You know, we don't think of pride that way. We use that term sometimes. Well, I'm proud of my son. You know, I'm proud of my son. I'm proud of him. You know. God says evil things. He says these are evil things. You list them with murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, covetousness. List them right in there. Pride. So as they were talking along the way there, the Lord asked them, you know, what are you talking about? And there was one thing that was very obvious as they were talking, and he calls it out. And he says that, you know, you're talking about these things, but something's very obvious, and that is you are very sad. See? What manner of communication, verse 17 of Luke 24, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? There's one thing that will make a Christian sad, unbelief. Unbelief will make a Christian sad. God has given every reason for us to be happy. And why, and why would there be sadness? You know, one of the shortest verses in the Bible is 1 Thessalonians 5.16. It just says, rejoice evermore. That's the whole verse. And God has given us precious promises for this life, for the one to come. He's lavished us with these promises, given every reason to rejoice evermore. But unbelief in those promises makes sad. Makes sad. And their unbelief came out and how they spoke about the Lord Jesus. And I was trying to emphasize that in verse 19 when he said, and he said unto them, what things, and they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. See, they, he didn't say he is a prophet. They said he was. In other words, he's dead. He's no more. He's gone. See, they refused to believe. They refused to believe the report of the women. You know, you can hear them saying, I'm not going to get any theology. No woman's going to teach me theology. They refused to believe the report of the women and others to, in verses 20 through to 24 when they said, yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. They found not his body. They came saying they'd seen a vision of angels which said he was alive. And then went on to say, and certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher, because they didn't believe the women, 
and found it even as the women had said, but him they saw not. See, they let their unbelief hold back their eyes from seeing the Lord Jesus as the Redeemer. They let their unbelief hold back their heart, hold their heart that wanted to believe because they said in verse 21, we trusted that it had been him which should have delivered Israel. And now it's the third day. And they let their unbelief hold them back from believing the testimony of the women who went and saw the empty tomb, saw the angels, heard them tell them that he was alive. The unbelief held back their heart, held back their eyes from believing when other men went there and confirmed that the tomb was empty. And so when he hears all this, the Lord hears all this and says, oh, this, you know, you trusted, you wanted to believe, you didn't believe the women, you didn't believe the men, then it's over the top. And he just rebukes them and he says, you are fools and you're slow of heart because they didn't believe that he was risen from the dead. Now, when Thomas did not believe, Okay, remember in John 20, 25, it says, the other disciples said unto him, we've seen the Lord, but he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails, thrust my hand to his side, I will not believe. So what did Thomas do? Let me put it this way. What did the Lord Jesus do to make Thomas believe in the resurrection? But he did. That's it, Bill. Mm -hmm. Exactly. He saith in verse 27, he saith to Thomas, reach hither thy finger, Behold my hands, reach hither thy hand, thrust it into my side, be not faithless, but believing. That was how he convinced Thomas of the resurrection. But these were also an unbelief of the resurrection, and they're on the road there. And so did he do that? Did he say, well, look at my hands and put your hand in my side? Is that what he did? No, he didn't do that. What did he do? He taught them what? He taught them the scriptures. He taught them the scriptures. He didn't show them his hands and his side. He showed them the scriptures. See, at the beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. See, he took away their unbelief not by showing them his hands and his side. He took away their unbelief by showing them the scriptures. And the Lord called them fools for not believing the scriptures. And a man is a fool if he doesn't believe the scriptures. Human knowledge, you think about human knowledge, here's the way human knowledge works. Human knowledge works like this. First, something has to be understood, then it is believed. That's human knowledge. God's knowledge is the opposite. God's knowledge is, first, it has to be believed, then it'll be understood. See, the Bible is a closed book to the proud person. The Bible is a closed book to the critic who says, show me first and I'll believe. It's closed. It's closed to those who stood at the cross in Matthew 27, 42, and they said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. See, that's man's knowledge. See, let me see and uh, and let me see and then I'll believe. Let me understand and then I'll believe. See, first let us see and then we will believe. But God says, no, first you believe, then you'll see. That's what he said in John eleven forty. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou should see the glory of God? See, the real problem is that man is blind. It's a very illustrative phrase, wonderful phrase. It describes what needs to happen for a man to know God, what needs to happen for a man to know the Bible. 
We'll continue with Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher here on Friendship with God, in just a moment. To learn more about Tom Cantor, you can go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor also has another website, israelrestoration.org. And on israelrestoration.org, you'll learn about our Jewish evangelism outreach ministry to the Jewish people, the most unreached people group in the world. They need to know about their Messiah and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, his lost Jewish brethren and sisters that need to come to a saving knowledge of him. And we take the gospel to them, and you can take the gospel to your lost Jewish friends, your neighbors, the coworkers business people, acquaintances that you have, doctors, someone that you encounter that's Jewish but needs to be saved. We'll give you a free gift from Tom Cantor. To reach them, you can fill out the online form at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or call us 800-247-3051. You know, I was at Trader Joe's last night doing some shopping. So, you know, the lady says to me, you know, because they're all trained to do this now, you know, so how was your day? Fine. So what did you do today? (laughs) I said, I studied the Bible, you know. You could tell on her face. (laughs) You did what? You know. (laughs) See, for a person to know the Bible, for a person to know God, something has to occur. And what that is described in Ephesians 1.18, where it says it this way, the eyes of your understanding. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches, the glory of the inheritance are in the saints. See the phrase, the eyes of our understanding. Actually, the Greek word translated understanding is dianoia, it's heart. It's heart, or the place where deep thoughts occur. So it's really the eyes of our heart are blind, and they need to be enlightened. That's why the statement is so important in Ephesians 1.18. The eyes of your heart, the eyes of your understanding, being enlightened that you may know. That's why Paul first believed God, and then something very important happened to him later. He believed God on the road to Damascus, and later on something happened in Acts 9.18. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. That must have been some sight. And he received sight therewith, and arose and was baptized. See, those scales on Paul's eyes that fell off, those represented the blindness that Paul had that was removed. In Israel restoration, we go to the Jewish people. What do we butt up against every single day? Blindness. Blindness. We might as well be working at the Braille Institute. It's just blindness, blindness. Blindness on the Jewish people. Blindness as to who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Blindness that's described in 2 Corinthians three thirteen through 16 where it says, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not, could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. They come and they take the Torah from off his ark. And they put it down, and they say, such a wonderful book, we won't even touch it with our fingers. They get the uh, finger, silver pointer, and read, and read. And then they carry it around. People kiss it. But they're blind to it. They're blind, as he says, that even when Moses read today, the veil is upon their heart. They can't see. It's talking about the Lord Jesus, Jehovah Jesus. But hope, in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 3, nevertheless, when it, the heart, When it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank God. 
when any person, Jewish person, Gentile person, turns to God with those two important words that God responds to. And what are the two words? Help me. Help me. And God removes the blindness. They can see who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Why would a person turn to the Lord and say, help me? Because of the sickness of his heart of foolishness. Foolishness to not believe the Scriptures. Because of the sickness of his heart of being slow of heart to believe the Scriptures. There's a father of a sick son, and he found himself with those two sicknesses, foolish, sickness of foolishness, sickness of slow of heart. He turns to the Lord, cries out, recorded for us in Mark 9, 17-27, where it says, One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, the spirit teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth. And he's pining away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out. They could not. He answereth and saith unto them, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. He fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. Can you imagine the sight? And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said of a child, and oftentimes it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. So the father says, you haven't seen it all. He says, he'll throw himself in a fire pit. He'll throw himself in the water. He'll throw himself in the fire to burn himself to death. He'll throw himself in the water to drown, be drowned. And then the father said, but if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believe straightway. The father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw the people coming together, he rebukes the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, enter no more into him. The spirit cried, rent him sore, came out of him. He was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he rose. Distraught father. He didn't know what to do. He was absolutely beside himself. He watched in a state of utter helplessness. He watched his son just be taken over by this demon, pushed in into water to drown him. And he watched this demon push the son into seizures, cause the boy to practically grind his teeth away, foam at the mouth, fall into fire. And we can imagine how the, the father tried to sit down and talk with the boy. You know, talk with the boy. Let me help you. Let me talk you through this problem. Nothing. The boy became controlled by this satanic spirit. And so the father's paralyzed with fear. The father's paralyzed with the feeling of utter helplessness. And in his fear, he has graduated, the father has graduated to the state of the two words, help me. And that was the beginning of his help from God. The demon is here, very overt in this boy. Sometimes demons are very overt, as in this case, tries to kill himself. Across the street from our compound in Budajir in Ethiopia, a mother pointed out to us, says, that's our daughter. She says, she's this crazed look on her face. And, and she said, she, it's jerking around. And they said, she's possessed with the great spirit. One time, the director of the hospital there in Budajir was giving me a tour. And then they brought a new patient into his office there. This patient was chained. His hands were chained. His legs were chained. And I said, well, what's with this? And he says, uh, he tries to kill himself and others. Why? Demons. Sometimes demons not so overt. Case of a little boy recently, he has an imaginary friend. 
And the imaginary friend started to tell him, it was a good boy until this point, and then the imaginary friend tells him, talk back to your parents, destroy, disobey. Imaginary friend. Well, this father, he knew he was helpless to help his son. Now, the Lord could have just spoken a word from a distance for his son to be healed. See, he did that. In fact, the centurion told him that. You don't have to come. So just speak the word. I'm under authority. I know how it works. The healing will take place. He could have done that, but he didn't. He said in Mark 9, 19, bring him unto me. Bring him to me. Those are really important words. When the Lord said, bring him to me. It wasn't a pretty sight, as we saw For the boy to come, he's foaming at the mouth, he's in seizures, he's grinding his teeth away, but he says, bring him, bring him to me. You know why? That's so interesting and so important because it shows how close the Lord wants to get to our sorrows. When it says in Isaiah 53, 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, he didn't do that by remote control. He didn't do that remotely. When he said, bring him to me, he says, I don't want there to be a distance. See, those words, bring him to me, shows us that for anyone to be helped by the Lord Jesus Christ, he has to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And those words in verse 19, bring him to me, speak to us that that what we have to do to help another person, we have to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer. See, for the lost who need salvation, God's word to us about prayer is bring him to me. For the sick, we have a lot of sick people right now, but for the sick, God's word to us about prayer is bring him or her to me. And so the Lord asked the Father in verse 21, he says, how long ago is it since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. See, that question, that causes us to wonder. We sit there, we wonder, why did the omniscient God, who knows everything, why did he ask him how long? Did he not know? He knew. So he knew, so how long had been? Why did he ask? Clearly, he didn't ask the question of how long he'd been possessed because he didn't know. He asked the question to show us how the Lord Jesus helps us. He asked the question to show how he enters into the agony of the Father, to show us he feels the pain of the Father, to show us he has compassion. He asked the question to show that he is a high priest for that father and for that boy who was touched with the feeling of the Father. As it says in Hebrews 4.15, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. What was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And the son who tried to drown himself, he's got a father who's drowning in his own helplessness and despair. And he's crying out to the Lord, if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us, help us. And the Lord turns around to the father and says, I'm going to turn that right around on you. And he says, I'm going to take your if thou canst do And I'm going to turn it around and say, if thou canst believe. It's not a question of if I can do. It's a question of if you can believe. And the father who came to the Lord Jesus for help for his son now realizes he needs help. He needs help for his own unbelief. And so he responds in Mark 9, 24. Straightway the father, the child, cries out with tears. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Now, going back, we're looking at Genesis 26 and verse 3. The Lord tells Isaac, sojourn in this land. I'll be with you. I'll bless you. Unto thee, to thy seed, I'll give you all these countries. I'll perform the oath. See, these are the things that God says. He says, you stay here. I'll be with you. I'll bless you. I'll give you these land. I'll perform the oath. First, the Lord told Isaac, stay here. Stay in that land. That wasn't easy for Isaac. That wasn't a nice place to be. That was a land of murder, as Isaac said in verse 7. The men of the place should kill me for Rebekah. 
That was a land of sexual defilement, as Abimelech said, verse 10, when one of the people might lightly have lined with thy wife. But God told Isaac, you stay there. You stay right there. Because for Isaac to stay in that land would take faith on Isaac's part that God was going to do what he said next, which was, I'll be with you. You stay there, I'll be with you. I'll bless you. You stay there, I'll bless you. And I'm going to do that in the land of murder, in the land of lust, and I'll be with you and bless you. See, with that promise of God's presence and blessing, Isaac had all he needed to stay in the land of murder and lust. We hope you enjoyed our study from Genesis chapter 26 here on a Tuesday with Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher. Tom Cantor is the CEO of Scanabody's Laboratory. He's also the 2009 Whistleblower of the Year. And he's also a great Bible teacher, and you can hear him at Mission Valley Community Chapel in San Diego for more information on where Tom Cantor is going to be speaking and teaching. In fact, Tom Cantor just returned from a Jewish evangelism conference in Houston, Texas. There are a lot of Jewish people there, and Tom Cantor, being a born-again Jewish believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, wants to train others how to reach lost Jewish people with the gospel. And he did that out in Houston, Texas recently with a Jewish evangelism conference. If you're a pastor and would like to set that up at your church, uh, please call us and we can give you more information on where he's speaking or how he can speak at your church. You can call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. You can also learn more about Tom Cantor by going to friendshipwithgod.com. Org. We have an online bookstore with many resources, some of them for free, listening and download, as well as videos and training and teaching, and also an online bookstore. Now you can also make a donation that's 100% tax deductible. No administration fees go towards your donation, and all of it goes towards this Bible teaching radio program and Jewish evangelism outreach ministry. Call us to donate or receive resources and information at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening.